Hello, St. Luke's, and welcome to Your Week with St. Luke's, your weekly podcast, uh, where we look ahead at the scripture that we are going to be talking about each Sunday and take a deeper dive into that. Well, if you are listening to this um, as it comes out, you know that this coming Sunday is Christmas Eve. Um, We are all excited for that. We all look forward to that each year to be able to light candles together and to celebrate the birth of our Lord. Um, And uh, we, uh, all of your pastors are here. I'm here with Pastor Jen and Pastor Jad. I'm Pastor Melissa. Um, And we are going to be looking at a couple of those texts that we use on Christmas Eve. They're ones that you have heard probably many times if you have been to Christmas Eve services in the past um, and ones uh, that will be familiar. So uh, we're going to do a little bit more work with those and ask that question of as we light the candle of love and and the Christ candle um, this Sunday, um, how do these help enliven the Christmas story for us? What do they tell us about God's love for us, um, our love for one another, uh, and what love has to do with Christmas? So um, to kick it off, um, we've got a couple of texts that we're looking at, um, one out of the prophet Isaiah, which is who we've been with throughout the Advent season, um, and then we'll be skipping over to the Gospel of John. Um, so where do we want to start, friends? Well, just the, the Tina Turner reference you just made and just blew <laughs> <by>. <laughs> What's, What's love, love got to do with it? <laughs> Sorry. Unintentional. I'm just that good that that wasn't even <laughs> intentional. What is love? <laughs> Baby, it's don't, hurt. don't hurt me. Um, love actually is all around, though. So um, all you need is love. All you need and, is love. But, <laughs> but why? Why are we doing love and scheduling at the same time as Christmas Eve? Right. So oh, that's wow. an interesting conversation because that's a cultural conversation for this year of. We, we're kind of missing the fourth Sunday of Advent, which is love, um, because the fourth Sunday of Advent would be Christmas Eve. And we recognize in the culture today, people are going to not necessarily come to two. So we're going to play with, we're going to play with lighting the candle of love, um, which really does fit into Christmas Eve as well. Um, and, and lighting the fourth Sunday of Advent, usually on Christmas Eve, we light all the Advent candles and then we light the Christ candle. Um, and this year we're going to, we're going to light the love candle, um, which is fitting because I always, as much as there is separation between the two, for me, the incarnation is that ultimate gift of love Mm. and, and with it, we do comes hope and joy and peace, right? Like we've talked about, but to me, it's all tied intimately connected with this, this idea of God so loved the world. Um, and so, yeah, that's why we're lighting it. And we're going to be lighting the the love candle during the Christmas Eve services, um, which includes Sunday morning um, at 10 a.m. Um, with the Isaiah text. So you want to read the Isaiah text, Melissa? Yeah. So we're looking at Isaiah nine. Um, this is way, way, way earlier in Isaiah than we have been all of Advent. So if you've been following along, um, this is from that first Isaiah um, uh, segment where we would still be in that uh, period of exile. Um, so so this is sort of the, the precursor to all of the promises that we've heard in Isaiah the last um, few weeks. So in Isaiah 9, starting in verse 2, um, and then we'll skip over to verse 6. 
Um, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a pitch dark land, light has dawned. A child is born to us, a son is given to us, and authority will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be vast authority and endless peace for David's throne and for his kingdom, establishing and sustaining it with justice and righteousness now and forever. I always hear the Messiah in that handles Messiah, which we've gotten to hear a little bit of this this season, but that that's always what rings in my head. It's good stuff. Right? So so great poetry. So why okay when I hear the scripture, I think so much about love. And I think it's probably because I I in my personhood equate babies with love. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and the fact that God came to us, Emmanuel, God with us, but as a baby for me is such like, I, I don't, I, I conflate those two so easily. What about you guys? Like, I just, I can't separate baby being born. Cause it says, right. It says for a child shall be born. I'm, I'm looking at a, different a, a child is born to us. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I, I which I know that's not true necessarily in all cases, but for me, it's so, it's so equal that it's really hard to separate the word love and the understanding and the action and the verb of love as well with, with it, it's hard to separate it from, of course, a child is born then, or a child is born. Of course it's love. Right. No, I don't think that's a, it's a negative completion. I think it's a natural, um, uh, it's not even a leap. It's right next door. It's adjacent. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's a joyful thing. I mean, think about <clears throat> we've got what three staff expecting babies, mm -hmm. uh, right? Um, uh, the Mason baby's coming up first, um, but um, the the great love that um, a new a new human being coming into the family, coming into the community, what that simply does, and um, yeah, I think love love fits well with that. So it's interesting. I, I, as, as the non-parent of the group, right. Right. I, I think that I see that a little bit differently. Not, not that that wouldn't, wouldn't connect, but if I were to make that connection, I connected around um, when we get to do baptisms. Mm -hmm. And for me, as someone who is very much um, as you all know, passionate about intergenerational community, um, as someone who is not called to have my own children, when I think of children, I think of of um, those who who challenge me to be better for them, which is is similar to being a parent, but it's entirely different when it's not my child, right? Um, I have a different different like need to be challenged that way. And so every time we baptize a baby, every time we bring a baby into our community, my favorite part of the whole baptism liturgy is challenging the congregation to support that family. And so when I think of love and babies and and all of that, it connects to me to to a, a a calling to be to be better a calling to be my my best self and my highest self um which i think that when i think about god coming to us as a baby or even just coming to us as a human at all um 
that is that is it's like when the when the when the teacher walks in the room you kind of sit up a little bit straighter right and and hopefully not because of fear but because you want to you want to you want to live up to what they see you as um you know we want to live up to what our children see us as in that way which is totally different than what i think the baby jesus um we usually think of but when i think of god coming to earth i think there's a challenge there I, and see, I, I see that all as the same thing because I, I don't know for me, this is for me. I mean, I would believe in Jesus. No, <laughs> don't take this the wrong way, all of you listeners. But for me, the act of coming as a baby does make me want to be better for that baby Exactly. about discipleship, like it's a call to discipleship, like the incarnation, if, if Jesus had come as a mighty warrior or has come as an adult, like a fully, fully formed human adult started preaching and proclaiming the good news and not a baby, I'm, I'm, it would take me longer. <laughs> I think I'm, no. maybe I'm cynical. Maybe <laughs> I don't know, but the, the coming of a baby in vulnerability, yeah. you know, makes me I have to I have to change my behavior right hmm? differently to interact with this gift of love um yeah that's interesting and and also the fact that then Isaiah of course Isaiah was not necessarily talking about Jesus we recognize Isaiah this was a, it's its own prophecy for the Jewish people but we we see the connection um, for us as Christians through this lens. We see it through the through the the Messiah as Jesus lens, and and so it's interesting for me. And I know my my seminary professors are always let the text be the text. Um, but if I if I make this connection between what I'm hearing in the prophecy and Jesus coming, is it talks about a child is born, and his name will be, and all the names given are adult names, adults fully formed adult, you know, and the actions, wonderful counselor, mighty God, Prince of peace. You know, you don't usually put, you don't put that kind of heavy stuff on a baby. Right. <laughs> right? I and mean, so before that, it says all authority will be on his shoulders. Like, yes, that's not fair. So yeah. It's, so it's like this, so paradoxical, so counter, intuitive in so many ways, um, which again, I mean, Melissa, you say this all the time when you read the Bible from the very beginning, it's counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. I mean, creation stories, it's telling you. So in, inevitably it's telling us from the very prophecy that this is going to be a counterintuitive moment for us to receive. Yeah. Well, and in our last Isaiah text, it started talking about, you know, the the high places being made low and the low places being brought high, which we hear reflected in the gospel as what the kingdom of God is about. And so it, it, the kingdom of God is this upside down world, which starts with a baby being the source of all authority. So, you know, again, it's telling us, it's telling us how, how to, to see this child as, as someone who's going to, to shake things up, um, is not going to let us just kind of keep, keep going with the status quo. Well, and to go back a little bit, um, a, a baby is dependent. Um, a baby, um, there's something when we think about the religions that have been 
um, practiced and um, lived into throughout the the dawn of man, <laughs> right? Um, it's always might, strength, and power in worldly ways. Okay. Uh, and that's part of that upside down kingdom, right? That um, but there is there is there is vulnerability. Um, and and what is love if it's not vulnerable? Um, and um, I'll always remember when we had our first child um, before they were before he was born. Um, our our doctor was talking to us about how important those first three or four months are for the baby, for so many reasons: the the development of you know, the skull and the heart and all these other things that are still kind of happening. And I remember going back to talking to a colleague who was on staff at the church and shared that with them. And that knowledge began to crush his faith in God. And my response was, no, it look how much faith God has in us to, right. to not only hold this child that is getting ready to give birth to, but for God to come as a child, so vulnerable. And, you know, it was wild for him to see a negative into it, but not see like the beauty of the incarnation of of god coming like that mm -hmm. and um that is love and trust um for god to come in that way in, i mean that's all incarnation right for god to be born into the human experience and the word born i think is important there too because it's a baby born right right well and it's interesting because i i don't i don't i don't I don't know if I ever really thought about this, but you know, in the, in, in Genesis, and we, we see ourselves as co-creators with God, like, right. Mm -hmm. There's a partnership of, of the stewardship of creation that we're called to be a part of, you know, the naming Adam, getting to name the animals and all those kinds of things. But, but here in this incarnational moment, you know, that, that, that begins the New Testament story, right? That begins the gospel story. God is again inviting us to be co-creators, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've never thought about it that way, but it, it you are you we always think of Jesus came to save us all. But in the very beginning, by coming as a child, God is saying, No, no, you're a part of this salvation moment. You you are you are co-creators of this salvific moment. Because I'm going to come and I'm going to depend on you in mm -hmm. order to give me space to grow up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think of it in in that sort of like the the choice of how you know we do discipline children is is do you do you you know come down hard and tell them how it's going to be and what the rules are going to be, or and I have pictures of these people that I know who have been you know camp counselors or or pastors or children's ministers. And I, I just have pictures of people just going and like sitting down next to a kid on the floor and saying, okay, what are we going to do now? This isn't going well. And I think you can see that and inviting, inviting that child into that process, um, inviting that, that co-creation. Cause, cause if God had come as a mighty warrior, um, then it would have been more of the, no, this is because if you, again, if you look at the whole old Testament story, it is just God, like trying so hard. I tried so hard to love God's people and the people just going, eh, I think we're good. We're going to go and do this other thing that is just completely not what you asked us we got to a golden do. Calf. We want you to be yeah. our king. Let's and it's 
Do we ever going badly for them? And that's what we see in the in these Isaiah texts that we have read throughout Advent is the people wrestling with that and realizing, oh, okay, yeah, we didn't do it the way that God actually invited us to do it, and it didn't go well for us. And so this this moment of of a baby being born is is the is God going, okay, I'm just coming down there. And to choose the I'm just coming down there as a baby, I it's it's just mind boggling that after all of these different, you know, betrayals in so many ways of of God's people pushing back and and rebelling like like children do. And and God's way of handling that was to come and just kind of say, okay. Let me, let me just come be with you. Well, and, and let me, it's interesting too, because again, if I think, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave us his only son. And so we think of it as a parent adult. Again, we, we think of it as a, as, as the cross we think of that, but gave us his only son, literally <laughs> laid love in your lap. Yeah. I'm laying my love in your lap because you have to hold me and feed me. And, and, uh, you know, that's a remarkable, a remarkable thing. Mm-hmm. That dependency that God has on humanity so that humanity can become dependent upon God. And even to the point that he, like, he wasn't a cabbage patch kid. Like he didn't just like show yeah. up. He actually had the full, like, was was nurtured in the waters of his mother's womb as we always say at baptism right um there was childbirth involved there was a mother yeah, a mother involved right what did you say Jen? i just love that you said cabbage patch kid and i just realized they were the ones that like came out of the lettuce or whatever yeah they, they just right. pop up they just pop up in the cabbage patch oh, um, and, uh, yeah like no storks like, no cabbage patch whole, an actual woman I mean, I do believe in, in, uh, you know, virgin birth and incarnation and yeah. So like the vulnerability of it all, like anything could have gone wrong. Child morbidity rates, right? Right. Like, yeah. Right. And, and that's love. And I guess that's what I'm like. That's love. That's love. And it's not just love that was displayed on the cross. Correct. But love displayed from the very, very beginning. Right. Love doesn't force itself ever. No. Right. And and love love always invites into that co-creation space. And the extent to which God invited us into this is crazy. Yeah. And it's yeah, messy. We, yes. It's we, difficult. We, it's frustrating. Yeah. And we think about the Jesus being vulnerable on the cross, right? And that sacrifice, but the vulnerability of a baby right it, it's it, throughout ability his vulnerability started from the very beginning yeah which uh leads us to john one yeah. yeah right um and so i'll read john one this is the message so it's going to be a little different which is always wonderful to read a text in a translation that's just a little different that that your heart and your mind hears it differently but uh eugene peterson says it this way um, the first the, the word was first the word present to God, God present to the word, the word was God in readiness for God from day one. Everything was created through him. Nothing 
not one thing came into being without him. What came into existence was life and the life was light to live by. The life light blazed out of the darkness. The darkness couldn't put it out. And then later um, in verse 14, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. incarnation it's always that phrase the the moved into the neighborhood is always the one that i think catches catches us i don't want to jump too far ahead but i just the way uh the the implications of that translation of of or paraphrase i should say of what the incarnation means and the way that that illustrates for us what our job is i mean it we can we could talk you know for days about this because it it is it is such a huge piece of the implications of for us for this child coming into the world um that that there's a responsibility that we we then get to to take advantage of to to model our lives after that well, and it's interesting because uh, Melissa, you talk about for you, the incarnation is your atonement theory. Mm-hmm. Talk more about that. So I, you know, we, we, many of y'all have, have enjoyed some of these conversations among us um, and, and that there are multiple ways of understanding how God reconciled God's self with humanity, um, that humanity that had continued to just push back and push back and push back Um and and for me, this this is if, if there is a moment, if there is one moment at which God saves the world, <laughs> um, God God makes atonement for um, all of humanity's sins. I think it's for me, it's this um, because it it's when God becomes one of us and goes ahead and just bridges the gap by becoming one of us and being with us. Um, there's, there's no longer a gap to bridge if there is a gap, right? Um, because God has just been now, now it, it, it then plays out and there is more to it that happens after that. But if, if I had to say there's a moment, this is the moment for me because the simple act of showing up and the simple act of not the not so simple act of becoming human, fully human, fully human, experiencing all of the, the, everything we just talked about, the risk and the vulnerability but then throughout his life, becoming fully human and having all of the emotions and having all of the, the pain and having all of truly the suffering unto death, um, that all starts when God's when God makes the decision to become literally human. So for me, this is this is where it all, this is the pivot point everything else sits on. So well, because the sacrifice began, if you want to talk about sacrificial. Right. Right. Sacrifice began in this moment. Yep. Right. And it yep. goes back to the sacrifice of vulnerability, the sacrifice of leaving and there from the very beginning, there at the beginning of the time, it was the light of the world. So, so coming and from the very beginning being vulnerable, 
that the that the light might be taken out, which it can't be because it's God. Right. Um, yeah, it it does begin in that moment. This is this and is begins moment. with us being a part of it. That's what's yep. so like none of the all the other atonement theories have to do with what Jesus did for us, did for the world, and we're not necessarily a part of that work. Mm-hmm. But in this, we are a part of that work. And 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 may, like we haven't even talked about Mary this season, but, but Mar- Mary has to consent too. Mary gets right. the option to say no. So God still isn't forcing God's self into this particular family to become human in this way either. It is it is entirely co-created. It is entirely co-created. God comes and and talks with or angels, you know, come and talk with Mary and with Joseph and and all of there there is there is co-creation. There's there is is consent and and agency all throughout the story. Um so which again is different from all other religions concepts of right, right. how divine desires or inclinations or will is done. And there are you know Christians who do think that God's divine will is forced upon humanity. But if we read this text, it allows for agency um, and inclusion. Uh, I was going to say partnership. Yeah. And it's so interesting. And I think we said this last year or two years ago. It And, and, and it is a woman. It is a woman who gives birth mm-hmm. to the good news. Mm-hmm. I mean, a woman who proclaims the good news. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's a man who's finishing your sentence sorry <laughs> <laughs> that it, it again it's just i mean not to get into that but like you know this whole that women can't preach and all that okay. yeah just read the story just <laughs> just literally read scripture um and women were a part of those incarnational atonement moments and god chose a woman to be that and it's just a beautiful beautiful thing because it just again the inclusivity of this gift of love is is what i see in that i'm not trying to make any statement other than just the inclusivity the 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 careful choices that the playwright god made yeah for this particular story to be lived out on the world stage the direction given it's just beautiful. It's just, and every part of it, a gift of love. So if we keep playing out this co-creation concept too, and this gets into to some of my, you know, pieces, uh, when, when the next time we see Jesus, he's in the temple and right. reads from the scroll of Isaiah. So you, we, we start getting these connections, but what ends up happening in that story is his, his, his tribe, his, his community has traveled to the temple together for this event and then they have all gone back home and he gets left and lost in the temple mm-hmm. and his parents Mary don't, don't even notice until they get back and they go oh no where's Jesus right now oh no now, not just where's my son Jesus oh no we just lost yes <laughs> oh, <laughs> so here's so here, but here here's here's what I want to here's I haven't even gone down this road before is the reason that they were able to get that far and not notice is probably because they they had a whole community that was parenting him right right they 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 weren't the only ones responsible for him they lived in a way that all of the other people around them 
also took ownership for him. And so just because he wasn't next to them, I didn't worry them because he was part of this larger community that, that the whole community took ownership over him as a child. And so he was co-created by so many more people than we actually get articulated in scripture too. The, the, the influences that he had, the people who taught him things and held his hand walking along the road when you lie down and when you ride, like we could go back to all of the, the Deuteronomy texts too. So there's something about that, that, that continued co-creation that, that God put him into a community that was going to care for him too. So and that and that this 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 story with Jesus, the salvific story with Jesus is not individual because yeah. it's never has been from the beginning. It's been yep. it's been this communal work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. We've gone really far out there, but I hope y'all are having as much fun <laughs> listening as we are talking about this. So if what is you, the- if, if you, St. Lucas, if you think we play it all of this out and uh, have a map roadmap, we don't. Um, <laughs> What's a roadmap? Yeah. So, so John, what is it? What is, why is incarnation special to you? Incarnation significance for me is, is that God isn't on high distant um deism right the idea that god has created everything and is not here incarnation is is significant to me because god doesn't want to be distant and far away god desires to be present with us and that that god can't but god chooses to be present with us in ways that we might relate to right um which is kind of my criticism of of incarnation right um, there, there are ways of us humans understanding that relation, which is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Um, so it's, it's God stepping into our human experience, walking, not just a mile in our shoes or sandals or whatever, um, but being with us through every experience of life, not just the joyous moments, but the difficult moments, God being born, vulnerable child, going through puberty going through, you know, dealing with family and stress and, and uh, food insecurity and housing insecurity, God going through uh, in Jesus, the rejection of, of friends and being made fun of, uh, gosh, I mean, we talk about having, um, well, what's it where we think um, we're not good enough? Um, Imposter syndrome. Um, what's that? Imposter syndrome. Yeah. Imposter syndrome. Can you imagine God being like fully God and fully human and Jesus going, well, I'm God, but am I right? I mean, like, just can't, I can't really imagine because that's a, he, God became human, right? Um, and went through all of what we emotionally, spiritually go through. It's not God has escaped all of those things, as God has come into all of those things. And what a celebration that Christmas that God chose to do that. That's why it's so, and, and that that brings such depth to passion of Jesus, Holy Week, mm-hmm. and, and Monday, Thursday, calling us to, to there, there's depth and in integrity to being told to be servants and to love. And, and we see it on display on Good Friday, and then it's, it's, it's consummation on Sunday at Easter, 
um, all of that. Um, if incarnation wasn't this real thing, then what is what is resurrection? Um, if Jesus wasn't fully God and fully human, born into the human experience, we celebrate at Christmas, then everyone has suffering and pain and dies. But God chose to be born into that with us. Yeah. You know, the incarnation is so important to me because of the particularities. Like if I go with this, this that we're invited into this great theodrama, the particularities of the of the producer, the playwright saying, all right, this part is going to be played by a young peasant girl. <laughs> this part is going to be played by the setting is going to be in a little no account Bethlehem, you know, which I think I said on this past Sunday, you know, if, if Jesus had been born today as a Palestinian Jew in Bethlehem, he would never be allowed to go to the temple. Like, you know, there's, that's not a predicted thing, predictive thing, but, but wow, we, the particularity of, and shepherds are going to be, we're going to bring in the shepherds, cue the shepherds, you know, and just the particularities of being born in a feeding trough, you know, all of those details are so significant to God's love. So significant to this gift of love. The particularities are so important and tell us something about the relationship God wants to have with humanity, how and whom and, and the way it's, you cannot overlook the details. And, yep. and that's super, super, super important to me is that you know, for the church to recognize that. And when the church moves away from those details, right? When the church tries to clean itself up and move away from all those details, right. sanitize those details, right. whitewash, we, we become less incarnational, I think. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, it, and, and I, I want to like clear what, what you're saying, Jen, is it's not about the details in the sense of immutable facts and needing to, right. to know exactly how something happened yeah. in a scientific and historical way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's details of a story. It's, it's again, I got an English degree, so this is like secondhand to me, but it's the stuff that your English teachers asked you to do when you were reading stories is paying attention to why did they, why did they make something a certain color or mm -hmm. why did that, that, cause the author has has a reason for telling the story this way and both both god as author and gospel writers as conveyors of this story have made very specific choices right um so i just wanted to to clarify that piece of right, of, right. Yeah. yeah becky bailey says there's there's power in noticing yes, yes. and then yeah. she's not a biblical scholar but there's power in noticing for sure. Yeah. Why Luke wrote, you know, in the year of this leader and in the year of that leader and so-and-so was on this throne and that throne and in the midst of all this empire power, this is how God's love comes. And it's just, it's just so beautiful. And again, I, I, it's a powerful message for the church of then how are you being co-creators and being incarnational and who are you aligning yourself with and what details are you aligning yourself with in the, in the story? Yep. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. All right. Well, that was fun. Yeah. Was great. Hey, that and so I was thinking else. as you were talking about um all we're gonna be doing on on Christmas Eve, it's a two for one. We get an advent really? for and Christmas Eve. We're gonna light two different candles. Like can't beat that. That's like a public's bogo right there. Okay, so don't forget Christmas Preve will be Saturday night, the 23rd. We have traditional um, music at five, contemporary music at 6.30. Then Sunday morning, the 24th, one service, 10 o'clock. And it is the family intergenerational. It's going to have a nativity kind of portion to it with the little ones, but then also a message, um, a full message, um, just like on Children's Christmas. Choir singing. Yeah. Children's choir singing. We sing is we'll have candles, all of those things at 10 o'clock. And then, then Christmas evening, we have two services at five and six 30 with our contemporary music. We have eight and nine 30 for our traditional music and 11 o'clock we have an ensemble and communion and we will be lighting candles at everything. So you'll get everything. So, um, and then the Sunday following the 31st, we have one service as well at 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock. Don't come anytime, but 10 o'clock in the mornings. So. Unless you want to make coffee. If if you come at nine 30, we'll put you to work. So wait till 10. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Thanks, St. Lucas. And we will be back next week with a fun episode from your pastors as well. 